Hello, how are you guys doing today? It is February 9th, 2019 on this cold Saturday in Cleveland. And wow, what what a past few days. The trade deadline has now passed. I've had time to kind of digest everything and I'm ready and excited to dive right in. So the first trade the Cavs made, they traded away Rodney Hood and they got in return Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin IV, and two second-round picks from the Blazers in 2021 and 2023. Now, initially, I wasn't super excited about the return they got on Rodney Hood because I had read reports that they were able to get, you know, a first from, like, the Warriors or the Raptors or something like that, and I would have rather had the first because it does hold more value, but... As time went on, I got I became more okay with it, and you know the other trade that the Cavs made with the pieces they got from this trade helped them turn uh, good on the other trade. So I'm more okay and happy with that. Um, uh, yeah, I would have liked to see the second round picks this year because they don't have one, and you know after a, after about pick five, it's it's a pretty big crapshoot. And I haven't been given reason to believe that the Cavs scouting department has, you know, the ability to find a diamond in the rough because they really haven't. Like, Jetty was a second-round pick, and he seems to be on the up-and-up, but you never know. Um, outside of LeBron and Kyrie, you know, what do we really have to show for it? Tristan Thompson was the fourth pick in the draft. Not much. He wasn't deserving of the fourth pick. But I digress. Um before they made the second trade, I wrote down that I didn't see Stauskas or Baldwin, you know, in the in the future of the Cavs. They didn't really do anything for me. Uh, they were both free agents expiring contracts to potentially move or sign at uh, free agency to extend in the future and then potentially trade them then. But we all know that happened a lot quicker than, you know, even I expected. Um Baldwin hadn't really made an impact in the NBA at this point, so that's why, you know, his name was just filler. And, you know, Nick Stauskas is a shooter. I think he's shooting around 37% from three. You know, he had that super hot stretch at the beginning of the year, but has cooled off since then. Um, yeah, I mean, all I ask for the Cavs is for them to acquire as much draft capital as possible. And, you know, they're actually starting to do, to do that. Um, and before the Alec Burks trade, uh, they turned uh, George Hill, Rodney Hood, Kyle Korver, and Sam Decker into seven draft picks, a first and six seconds. And, you know, it doesn't seem like much because they're, you know, six second-round picks, but still, you never know. They could potentially, you know, in a year or two, say – Sexton and Jetty develop nicely, and we pick up, we hit on our draft pick this year, whether that's Zion, RJ Barrett, or any of the other players, depending on where we fall. But, you know, in 2020, 2021, we could potentially attract an asset or a free agent who's not, you know, a top tier guy, but a good player who, you know, f sees the young core of the Cavs, likes what they see, and they feel like they can make this team into a playoff contender again. You know, that's me being super optimistic, and I feel like I shouldn't be with this team based off of what they've done in the past without LeBron James, but that is neither here nor there. Um, and going on to the Alec Burks trade, this one, this is the big one for me. I really, really, really liked this deal. 
So the Cavs got Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, a 2019 first from the Rockets. I think it was lottery protected, but we all know the Rockets are going to make the playoffs barring a James Harden injury and the 2022 second round pick from the Rockets. And the Cavs send out Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin, and Alec Burks. And this was a three-team trade with the Kings, and I won't get into all the other moving parts because, you know, they don't really pertain to the Cavs. Well, actually, former Cav Amon Shumpert gets moved to Houston. Um, I, I Like I said, I loved what they did here. They essentially flipped Kyle Korver for Marquise Chris, who, you know, hasn't really panned out in the NBA. His time in Phoenix was cut short. He put up pretty okay numbers. I think he was on the all-rookie team his rookie year. And he didn't get a chance at all in Houston to play. I mean, I think he played in 16 games or something like that for only a handful of minutes per game. And, you know, he's an athletic guy who can shoot the ball. Um, It's a low-risk, high-reward situation for the Cavs. Worst-case scenario, he doesn't prove to worth reset. Uh, Excuse me. He doesn't prove to be worth anything, and they just let him walk after you know, this year because he is a free agent at the end of the year. But best case scenario is, you know, he shows his worth. He shows he can be a serviceable player in the NBA. And the Cavs sign him to like a two or three year deal on kind of a cheap contract because he hasn't uh, proven to be worth much up to this point because he's been traded, you know, twice, been on three teams in about three years now. Um, I think a change of scenery for Marquise Chris can be really good. Because, you know, he the, the morale was probably at an all-time low for him. Getting traded from a bad team in Phoenix, the team that drafted him, at, he was about, I think, the fourth pick somewhere around there. He was in the high lottery. Um, you know, they gave up on him after a year and a half or so. And then he goes to a contending team where he feels like maybe he can contribute to a championship run. But in the end, he just doesn't get, he doesn't get any playing time because he can't crack the rotation. He can't or he doesn't really do what the Rockets feel like they need. Um, yeah, I think Cleveland is a great spot for him because it is a low-pressure situation. No one outside of Cleveland gives a crap about the Cavs. I'm just going to be honest. The Cavs are a laughing stock, especially since they don't have LeBron, and no one even glances twice at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, yeah, he has a real short window to impress. In his first game, I thought he was okay. The offensive... His scoring ability is pretty decent. He can shoot the ball at a good rate, but he just made some bonehead plays that are just low IQ and just feel like it showed a lack of just awareness, I guess. And it feels it looked like he was playing at like half speed. It didn't seem like he was full, ever fully running. Maybe that's just how much of an effortless athlete he is. I could be wrong, but I I'll be honest. I haven't watched much Marquise Chris since he's been in the NBA, so only time will tell on that. Um, yeah, I, the first-round pick is huge for me because it's a, it's another shot at a good player. I mean, I don't care what pick it is at this point. I just want draft picks because most likely they're not going to sign somebody in free agency because what star bar, outside of LeBron, because he was from here, would want to come to Cleveland. I mean, I love the city. I love Cleveland. But just being realistic here, what multimillionaire is going to want to come here to spend, you know, when they can spend their time in a nicer city for a similar amount of money? Uh, I expect a lot more movement in the offseason from this team. 
I don't think they are done making moves whatsoever, and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be satisfied with this. They should be stockpiling as much as many future assets as they possibly can because they did kind of deplete those in the four years they were making the championship run. And you know, you gotta kind, you have to recoup them in some way possible. Um, guys that have, I think, have a good chance of being moved uh, by next year's deadline are John Henson, Tristan Thompson, Jr., Brandon Knight, Jordan Clarkson, and Delhi. I know, don't panic. I don't expect Delhi to get moved, but there's a chance. And I say all of these these players because they will be on expiring contracts at the end of the year. I think all of them could contribute to a playoff team, except Brandon Knight. You know, he had a really nasty injury over a year ago and really hasn't got back to form. Um, when he was healthy before the injury, he was, I think, about a 14-point-per-game score off the bench. That Brandon Knight can contribute, but this Brandon Knight, I'm not sure, and I, I don't see how he fits with the Cavs' blueprint long-term. I just I don't see him cracking the rotation. If he is healthy now, I think he appeared in a couple games for the Rockets. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it happening. Um, John Henson, like I explained in my last episode, he he can affect shots. I mean, that's what teams really, that's what teams want off the bench from their center. Either they're a floor spacer, which he isn't, or they can protect the rim. That's what he can do very well. He's a good rebounder. He can score pretty decently inside the paint. Um, yeah, he's kind of an energy guy who can give someone like like a Joel Embiid, you know, a 10 minutes of rest. I know they just traded for Boban. That's not me saying that they should trade for him. But, uh, yeah, I'm just giving an example there. Um, JR, you know, we didn't see him moved by this deadline. What I think they're waiting for or when he becomes more tradable is next year. His, contra- his contract is... At face value is very large, but only I think three million of that is guaranteed. So it'll become much more attractive for a team like Houston or Philly or OKC, someone along those lines who needs another wing shooter, um, to where they won't actually have to pay him fifteen million dollars. And I think in that case, um, the Cavs would be able to get back you know some random G League player and you know a second round pick or so. And honestly. Anything you can get for JR at this point is an upgrade. I'd, I'd even take back the soup he threw in return because, you know, that's more valuable than him right now because he's been sitting at home since, what, September? Um, Tristan Thompson, I don't think I need to go much into that. He can contribute on championship team. We've seen it firsthand, can rebound, defend. I think on a title team, he would be coming off the bench. He started for the Cavs because the Cavs didn't have any bigs to play the five, really, or starting caliber bigs. And I think he could be a really nice piece off the bench for a championship contending team. Uh, Jordan Clarkson can provide off the bench, you know, a spark. But we did see last year that he wasn't great in the spotlight. And maybe it is just true that he's a guy that puts up great numbers on bad teams, but can't can't really do it on a big stage because on a playoff team, he's not going to get the volume of shots that, he gets on bad teams, you know. Instead of him shooting, you know, nineteen or nine for nineteen on the Cavs, he'll shoot, you know, two of nine in the playoffs. And at that point, you have to yank him because every possession is so valuable in the playoffs. You can't waste many. 
And if he chucks up two, you know, bad shots, he's getting yanked and that affects his confidence. And, you know, he checks out and can't get a shot going. That's kind of what we saw with Rodney Hood too. Um, and Delhi, uh, defense in three, a, D, a three and D guy off the bench. I know he's not the stereotypical uh, wing that you look for, but he can defend and shoot the three ball pretty well. He didn't crack the rotation really at all in Milwaukee with the surgence of uh, Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench for them. Uh, yeah, I th- another situation is it'd have to be a right fit for Delhi. I think Cleveland brought him back in. One, because you know he is a fan favorite and it made the the money work. Plus, there's, there's a guard spot open here because we're not rich on point guards, especially since we traded George Hill. We need to bring someone back to kind of mentor Colin Sexton, and I think Delhi is a really good guy for that because he does have championship pedigree, and he can teach Colin the ropes and the little intricacies of the NBA. Um, uh, yeah, I really, really, really like and impressed with what the Cavs have done up to this point. I didn't expect them to honestly do so well at the deadline and bring in so many different assets. It It's insane that I'm, like I said, I'm optimistic for the future, but I feel like I shouldn't be because every time I feel like I've done this, I've just fallen on my face and been proven wrong. Um, the biggest, The biggest thing is that they hit on a draft pick. They need to hit on this draft pick because it is, it seems so clear on who the great players are going to be in this draft. They've got to get it right. Because if you don't, it sets you back for years. You, Especially if you have a top three pick. We all know with the whole Anthony Bennett situation, what that did. You just, if you miss on something so valuable, it's just, it demoralizes everything and it throws everything off. You question everything and just not a good look. And we'll see what happens. Especially if they get a top two pick, I it's it's a no brainer, and I think everybody knows that. But once you get outside the top three, it's just it's a head scratcher because there is guys with potential, you know, John Morant, but Cavs are Colin Sexton, so I feel like if they were to do that, that'd be a sticky situation. I don't know how well you know that go in the locker room and whatnot, but you know we'll see. I try not to stress about it too much because you know what what can I control? I mean, I'm just a kid sitting in his apartment recording a podcast, but yeah, we'll see what this team can do and what the front office brings forth, you know, with the draft and, uh, you know, with potential trades in the future. Again, I hope Kevin Love gets traded, but that is not likely to happen just because of everything he's been through in the contract and whatnot. But I'll get into that a little little bit later. Um, I'm going to take a quick break. And once we come back, we'll talk about Colin Sexton a little bit more. All right. So talking about Colin Sexton a little more in depth, uh, the last two games from him have been very good. And I've been very surprised. And it's been an amazing, amazing thing to see him actually putting up points and him actually putting up shots. A lot of games, you know, he'll go 3 of 10 or 5 of 13. I kind of want to see him get closer to 20 because – you know, what does this team have to lose at this point? We're trying to lose games to get that number one pick. We fall into third in the lottery odds, which isn't good because I think that worst case scenario, we drop to pick seven, and that would be just a total disaster. But uh, against Boston, it feel, it felt like that was his first notable performance in a while. Um, he's, he seemed to hit the 
the rookie, the rookie wall pretty hard. Um, to be fair to him, the guard spot or the point guard spot is the hardest spot to adapt to from college to the NBA uh, for professionals. Um, I, along with other Cavs fans, wish he flashed more frequently. I mean, he has the last two games, so that's been great. But he scored 20 in the first half against Boston, which was an amazing thing to see. I was hoping he'd get, you know, 33. That's kind of what I predicted after the first half. But he only ended up scoring seven points in the second half and none in the fourth quarter, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, Boston did turn up the defensive intensity and kind of the physicality in the paint. Um and just kind of stymied him, and you know we saw the Colin Sexton we were used to seeing, the one that kind of struggles to finish around the rim through contact and whatnot, and jump shot struggles a little bit. Um, just the, his finishing in the first half was just an out-of-body experience for him. He normally doesn't finish with contact and around size that well, like I just said. Um, I love the mindset he used, though. He attacked early and often. He wasn't he never is scared, it seems like, but he was. It seemed he was extra aggressive and just had that mentality that he was going to get to the basket and he was going to score. Some of the some of the layups he made, I was my jaw dropped because he took so much contact and had to contort his body in midair, and I was very impressed at a you know I think he's twenty now, twenty year old finishing like that in the NBA, um, and if he continues to attack efficiently, uh, which I don't think he will. But that'll open up his jump shot because, I mean, defenders are already sagging off of him. We know that they're giving him space to attack or space to take that jump shot. And that's the problem we're going to see with him is that he won't take that next step until his jump shot develops more and becomes more of a consistent threat. Because if defenders are sagging off him, he doesn't have the handle to really shake anybody. His handles aren't very good for a point guard, being quite frank. Um yeah, he. I mean, he, we all saw he did most of his damage in the paint. Um, what I expect the rest of the season from him, kind of a lot of the same leading up to these last two games. Um, low to mid-teens in scoring on a low, low percentage. Just he's not an efficient player. I don't think he ever will be just because he's not a great shooter, not a great decision maker, all that stuff. In combination doesn't lead to an a consistent and efficient player. Um, not really sure how much improvement we'll see going forward. You know, he has had 27 in in the last two games. So that is, I mean, that's improvement. I don't think he's done that this year other than he had 29 against Houston. And then I think 23 or something like that against Washington before they played and when John Wall was playing. Um, I'll be very, very interested to see. And I think all of us will be, on his progression from uh, this year to next year because he will have a full NBA offseason to work on his game. He won't have to worry about you know, class and stuff like that, and there's no restriction on him to you know practice and work on his game. I just hope he comes through with more of a jump shot because, like I said, that's, that's, the key, that's the big piece to this puzzle that needs to develop or else you know, it's going to be a miss in the draft for the Cavs. And if they don't feel like he can develop that, that opens up the door for like a John Morant if you fall to the two or three spot. Now, I'm hearing a lot of buzz of uh, John Morant jumping R.J. Barrett, which I don't see. I think R.J. Barrett is just 
he's such an NBA ready player now, and he has a pre- I, he has an All Star ceiling. So does Job, but I'll take a great big guy over a great small guy small guy any day of the week. Um, yeah, like I said, I just hope there's a noticeable jump. I don't know if there will be. A thing to keep in mind is that you know this kid, he's he's still a teenager. He's still a kid. He can't even buy a beer yet. Just have to give him time. He can't overreact to you know nights where he scores eleven points, but is four of sixteen from the field. You have to. We have to give him time to to just work on his game and develop. I mean, you know, I just saw an interview with D'Angelo Russell, and he's been in the league four years already. He's only twenty two. Like, it's crazy how young kids come to this league and seems like they've been around forever, but they're still in their early twenties. Um, yeah. I, and I, that's why I don't really agree with the whole John Morant thing because it, I think it's way too early to give up on Colin Sexton. That shows, I, I understand there's a sunk costs, you know, you have to view that at some point, but I wouldn't say that until there's a few more years down the line. When you think about extending Colin Sexton and stuff like that, think that's when you make that decision but while he's under contract for the next two years uh, you can't you can't give up on him yet and because he hasn't given you a reason to give up on him yet he's shown flashes that he can develop and be a solid player in this league does he have star potential I don't think so but you know hopefully he proves me wrong and I look back on this and I seem like an idiot because I doubted him but you never know try not to overreact to the little things especially because he's still a rookie you have to give him time to grow and whatnot. Um, now jumping to Jetty, they better not screw this up. Please, please, please don't rush him back. There's absolutely no reason to to rush him back and risk further injury. Let him recover to 150%. I know, I don't even know if that's possible, but let him get as much or as close to 100% and over 100% as possible. They, they've got to be cautious with him just because he's one of the biggest pieces of their future. And any potentially career-ending injury that can come out of this just can't happen. I, it, they better – and they're trying to lose games anyway, so there's no point in hurrying him back. I get it. You want him to get minutes. You want him to get reps. But if he's only like 80%, he wakes up in the morning, you know, his ankle's feeling sore or whatever, and Larry Drew decides to play him, I'd be very mad. You just can't risk it. It's so dumb to. It why it makes no sense to risk your future or one of your key future pieces for a meaningless game in late, you know, in February when you're trying to lose anyways. And that seg- segues me to the whole Kevin Love situation. Um he he did come back last night against Washington. He only played about 7 minutes and he was 1 for 5, I believe, and he had 2 points or something like that. Um, I, I wrote this before he came back again, take your sweet old time coming back. Just kind of same situation as, uh, Jetty. There's no reason to rush him back. Um, because you're not trying to win here. Like I know I sound, I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but we all know the Cavs are trying to get that number one pick and they'd be dumb not to. Uh, but as he has come back and as he gets healthier, and more into basketball shape and gets his rhythm back, how he fits with this team because he unlocks a lot for what this team has been missing. Just the, just the shooting alone is insane. Like he was, I think he was what 39% from three last year, but that was, you know, getting 
open threes from LeBron, and it won't be the same. But his shooting and passing ability, and oh my God, the defensive rebounding, we need that so badly, especially with Tristan Thompson out. You know, we we know Larry Nance isn't a great rebounder. N.T. Zizic isn't either. And Marquise Chris, over his short career, hasn't been a good re- or, uh, an above-average rebounder either. So that will greatly help this team. Um, with, you know, losing Kyle Korver and George Hill leaves that gaping hole for deep, deep-range shooting. And Kevin Love will fill that nicely. And his, you know, outlet passing ability, I know it's no LeBron on the other end, but this team should run more than they do. They they play at a really slow pace, and I don't like that. You have young players, and why not just let them go out and run? What's the harm in that? Why slow things down when they're not super polished offensively? And, you know, they got young legs. They can take it. Just let them run. Let them be young. Let it be fun. We all know fast break basketball is probably the most exciting or one of the most exciting things to watch in the NBA. Oh, that's why, uh, like, even the Kings now, they're so exciting because they, they play at, like, the fastest pace in the league and they got exciting young players. The Cavs don't have as exciting of young players as the Kings do, but, again, they're still young, they're fast, they're athletic. Let them go run. <laughs> let them, just let them go. Um just the whole spacing situation, it's been a mess for so long, ever since Kevin Love got injured. Just they have maybe they don't really even have a good three point shooter on their team anymore. Like uh Delhi's Delhi's good from catch and shoot, but not off the dribble. Jordan Clarkson's not a good three point shooter. Like David Nwaba isn't good. Colin Sexton isn't good. You know, he's shooting like thirty seven percent on under three threes a game, so that's not great. Jetty isn't really great either. Just Kevin Love automatically becomes the best three-point shooter on this team. Something that's much needed. Uh, and, yeah, I, I they play uh, Indiana tonight, I believe. I don't expect them to win. I hope not because they need to lose. But kudos to Indiana for whooping the Lakers by 42 after the trade deadline. I applaud them for that. And I think kind of everyone in the NBA was kind of happy to see that be whether it's you don't like the Lakers or LeBron or some combination of that. Um, so yeah, uh, that's where I'll, that's where I'll wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening. I greatly appreciate your support. Follow me on Twitter at underscore James Lockery seven. You can follow the podcast as well at underscore everything Cavaliers. I I'm really active on there. I keep up, you know, NBA news, my thoughts, stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Have a good day.